Alright, we're all here. <laughs> Back with our first ever uh, return of a guest. Hey. Very excited to have on Brian Bohey. Hello, good to be back. Hey. Our resident punk sorcerer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode 18, and you're here with your host, Alex, and... Uh, ben. I always like, I always miss that setup. Yeah, we want to give a hearty virtual hug to Brian. Uh, and we're just so tickled to have you back on. Uh, we, I know that you, well, I know that obviously, but the audience doesn't know, that you picked this episode to come back on. Uh, it wasn't like we were filling the slot. You expressed interest in this episode in particular. And I wonder if you had any quick thoughts on that or, or if you want to get into that in the general discussion. Uh, I mean, just very quickly, there's a, a couple reasons. I feel like this episode really hits on one of the major themes of the show. And um, this is also kind of uh, the last point in the original series that is consistent with the, the rebuild movies, um, starting within mm. the first few seconds of the very next episode is when things go in a uh, wildly different direction for the rebuild movies. Huh. So, so everything before this point is canon kind yeah. of in, in all of this series and then it <laughs> starts diverging. Yeah. And, and is that also, does that mean like this is the point that they really started running out of, of money and, and having to compromise? Uh, I can only theorize. I mean, this, this will get into kind of spoilery stuff uh, if I really voice my, my real thought on the matter. Let's make that the tease and let's, let's right. talk at the end in our spoiler section. Sounds great. I just wanted to check in. How's, how's life? Is your family doing okay? <laughs> Thanks for asking. Uh, it's, it's a crazy time. So mm-hmm. my wife uh, the other day got shingles, uh, which when you don't know what's going on, like in this climate, it's, you know, uh, oh, yeah. crazy and, yeah. you know, like you immediately think the worst, uh, but it wasn't. Uh, so we weathered that pretty well. And I had three D&D games going on this weekend. <laughs> so that, oh, was, that was a lot. Are these all like Zoom? One is a social distanced. One is one with my own family and one is Zoom, a D20 Zoom. So that was a lot to juggle, but it's fun. And I picked up a new client. Uh, that was really nice. But yeah, gosh, seems like there's always a ton of stuff going on. And the book club is also going great. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brian is part of my or our we have a book club reading The Invisibles uh, by Grant Morrison. It's been yeah. great. Cool. Um, you mentioned last time on the show you're a life coach, and you just mentioned you picked up a new client. I was wondering what kind of uh, qualifications that that takes to become a life coach, and what do you enjoy the experience so far? Is it really fulfilling work? Well, yeah, I loved being a life coach. Uh, each session, um, I'm pretty pumped up and feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. There's a low road and a high road to becoming a life coach. Like there's mm. online services where you can just pay the 20 bucks and get a membership sticker or whatever. I have a background in social work. That's what my bachelor's is in. Uh, I've also got about 15 years worth of experience in the field. My certificate program was a six month program. Uh, I had to do 200 hours of coaching <laughs> in preparation for that. In my membership, my license and certification is something that has to be maintained through the association. So they'll do like ethical oversight and all this qualitative review. 
So you're saying when I become a life coach, all I have to do is pay $20 online. You could, you could actually do that. You went the more useful route, but it seems to me it's the sucker route. <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure I was going to be doing things right. And that's awesome. Uh, ben, do you have a recommendation for us this week or an update on another podcast that you've been listening to? Um, yeah. So this is the Pen, Pal, Pen Pen Pals podcast podcast update or the Pen Pen Pals pod pod update, as we like to call it. And I was thinking that I didn't. Um, and then I realized that I did which is that through Twitter, um, by the way, you can follow us on Twitter at PenPenPalsPod. But yeah, Twitter, normally awful, cesspool, nothing good happens there, just makes you really depressed. But every once in a while, there's like a random connection. And this is kind of that, like saw a tweet about this person, clicked on them, you know, recommended a profile for someone else. And it is this like economist, that has a podcast about kind of like criminal justice and criminal justice reform and and stuff like that. And it's called Probable Causation. And, you know, it's very academic, very nerdy, this economist talking to other scholars about legal stuff. Mm. But it's like, I realize it's like stuff that I'm like very into. So things like say legalization of like sex work and like you know mm. you can have a lot of feelings about like sex work and whatever would legalizing it be good would that cause more problems other problems you're not predicting you know these are academics that like look at places where they change laws about this and then like try to study the actual real world outcomes and you know it's just like a whole bunch of different different issues like that that does sound fascinating probable causation i'll definitely check that out cool name too um yeah what about our pen pen pals peapod update pen pen pals pod peapod update i'm glad you asked uh there's not much of an update but i did plant another thing of peas uh i got some fresh soil and well uh angled the supports for it so that i think it'll get more sun this way and hopefully that'll mean more peapods so the lower half of the supports was wire the first time, which was fine when they were coming up, but when they got to be big vines uh, and they had some weight to them, it was too much pressure on the wires and they would be kind of dragged down and that could cut into the vine itself. So I lost mm. some uh, some really healthy vines that way. So this time we're not gonna use that wire. I'm gonna get some more mesh and they're in the ground and hopefully by next week they'll already have sprouted. Mm. So you said mesh, so like uh, that that's to support the vines or is that like a net to cover them? Oh, no, 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 yeah, just to support them, like a, like a wire mesh. Um, just like a, like a lattice work. Nice. Last time on Toji Sako and his flying robot, Misato navigated a board of inquiry conducted solely by overprivileged unseen men. Kensuke took a day off school to indulge in his military hardware mania, returned with speculations and excitement about the construction of Unit 03. Nerve's Nevada base vanished in a red flash, along with the US government's desire to house their remaining Ava. Rei spent more time in her spinal pod, and Asuka felt nothing but frustration. Kaji related to Shinji through the timeless allegory of melon growing. Class rep Hikari expressed her feelings for Toji by adding him to her daily lunch preparations. 
Toji was selected as the pilot for Ava Unit 03, further isolating him from his friends, and Ritsuko briefed Gendo on the progress of the disarmingly named Dummy Plug. Will piloting an Ava enhance Toji's basketball prowess? Are all American Avas prone to catastrophe? Can something nice please happen to class rep Hikari? Let's find out. All right, now we got episode 18, Life and Death Decisions. So not life or death decisions, but life and death decisions. Uh, So Unit 03 arrives from the United States, but Shinji still doesn't know who its pilot is. During testing, Nerve learns Unit 03 is possessed by an angel. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) They really could get someone else to write this. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Just real quick, I do like it when you take the, um, what's the word, like the cliche, and you just like change it by like 10%. What cliche? Like life or death decisions, and you just make it life and death decisions. Just a little twist. Yeah, iterations on, uh, uh, or variations on a theme. Become legend, young boy. I love that logo. You know, you turned me around on uh, theme songs, Ben. But what do you mean? Well, I, I got into the habit of skipping the intros mm. to shows because I was watching them on Netflix or something and binging through them. Yeah. But you said something about when we were watching BoJack Horseman, you were like, oh, don't skip the intro. I really like the song. It kind of like gets me in the mood for the show. <laughs> <laughs> that, yes. is, that is a phenomenal theme, that one. How's the Evangelion ride been for you? <laughs> Good. I mean, I, I was a big fan of this show back in the day, and I think it keeps impressing me and kind of twisting in directions I wasn't expecting it to twist. Yeah. And I'd, I'd rewatched it once before, so this is my third time around. But <laughs> maybe because it is so twisty, there's just always a lot of stuff that uh, feels like I've forgotten. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the twists. Um, that's what I was going to ask you about. So in the anime community, Evangelion's pretty polarizing. Yeah. And like episode 18 in particular, a lot of people drop off or go all in. It's like in your first or second pass through, like, do you remember having a changing opinion as you started to progress through the episodes? Like before watching this, I think I had kind of, we had gone to Otacon in Baltimore, this kind of very old school anime convention. Maybe one of the bigger ones on the East Coast. I don't know. It is. It is the biggest one on the East Coast. Okay. Yeah. And I guess we just happened to grow up <laughs> near it. And we were like webcomic fans. And some of the webcomics that we liked, they were doing like signings there. So that was the thing that motivated us to check it out. I mean, we were, we were like budding otaku ourselves but that was how we like even knew it existed Mm -hmm. i think so i think i heard about it before watching it and i like i don't know if this would have been the exact term that was used but the general attitude was that like it was like kind of like fan torture or something (laughs) like that that like people 
felt like it was almost like manipulative or they like did things that wow were like unethical or like not right to create you know this love for these characters and then kind of like jerk them around so I think I did have that even like the first time I was watching I was kind of like waiting for that to happen yeah this does strike me as at least the earliest anime that I can remember where um the relationship with the fan base played into uh, Anna's storytelling. Well, not Anna specifically, but like the director of an anime. Mm-hmm. So unit 03, uh, the new Ava, the black one is being transported by a mega plane. Uh, I love these mega planes. <laughs> they shouldn't exist because the only thing they're used for is transporting Ava's. But uh the American pilots see clouds in front of them that they should probably avoid just to be safe, but whatever. <laughs> Their commanding officer tells them, whatever, fly through the clouds. We want to be on time. Uh, and yet they are still two hours late. I, I miss that. So that that's like how the, the Ava got like infected or whatever. Yeah. So I think, uh, and we'll get to this when we get to the angel, but I think the lightning we see in the clouds is a... Uh, a high static environment. And as soon as a conductor, the plane, right, uh, goes through, or the Ava, I guess, that's how whatever it is latches on. Uh, mm. Because it, it's able to use the principle of static cling to like ride that lightning essentially onto whatever it's infecting. So I think it raises more questions than answers about the nature of these angels. Yeah. Where do the angels come from and what mechanism is in place? for them to incarnate or <laughs> whatever it is they do. Yeah. Yeah. So the imagery of the approach is also striking. Oh, why is that? It's in a crucifixion sort of image. Oh, uh, yeah. How they transport the Ava. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they transport it by crucifix. like Asuka was just on a boat, right? Uh, right. In, um, my memory fails me, but is this the first time we're seeing that image of an Ava on a crucifix? We've seen purple-faced, shield-faced, seven-eyed Adam. The uh, number seven uh, implies perfection. In the Nerve HQ crucified. So it's reminiscent of that. And I think one time before we've had a Ava transported on a plane like this? Yeah, in uh, uh, 01, when it's when they're trying to catch up to Jet Alone, the robot, they transport it initially and drop it, but it's not... It's not like crucifix. Okay. Something, right? The crucifix seems to be specifically because it's an unmanned Ava that they're transporting, as opposed to the other one already had Shinji. Interesting. But yeah, it, it is an an ominous clue that none of this will go well, right? This is a Uh, sacrifice. It might be too soon to bring this up, but I have a theory about uh, this being a a sacrifice that's being delivered. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, I want to get to that as quickly as possible. (laughs) So let's run through. So uh, we get this cool, we get this scene of Masato and Shinji talking and it's, man, this episode's really awesome. I mean, the show in itself is awesome, but uh, there's just some really cool little animation bits like uh, Pen Pen, you see that he intently watches whoever's speaking, Hmm. like a human does, right? Like dogs and other things, they'll initially turn to a sound, but if if they recognize the sound and then it keeps going, they'll turn away and do their own thing. But Pen Pen is an intent listener. (laughs) 
Yeah, and, and this shot, uh, it's also, I think it's doing something for the first time, which is that it's not quite a still, but it's almost a still of them talking. There's that little pen pen animation, like you said, but they do this like rotating panning shot on it, kind of, where they're mm. taking the frames and they're just like moving them a little bit, um, which I don't think we've... Uh, seen them do much i don't think we have i didn't notice that there's that american documentarian guy who did um like the civil war ken yeah ken burns ken burns yeah so so like in like video editing stuff they call that the ken burns effect where you can like kind of like do a slow zoom in to a picture or something that's the way he kind of spices up showing old photos and things. Mm. Uh, Misato is uh, in a more traditional military garb. It's still like her own <laughs> thing that she, like it does not look like a uniform, right? But she has a beret on now. Mm. And then we have uh, Kensuke shows up at the door and pleads with Misato. He's so emphatic. He's like, please, please let me be the pilot of a neva and that's us right mm-hmm. that's the fans that's children being like wouldn't it be cool what a great fantasy so then we skip to ritsuko and, and misato and ritsuko is talking about how toji he made one request kind of in exchange for becoming the pilot um, which is that he wanted his his sister to be transported mm. to the nerve headquarter medical facility I guess like assuming that that's just like a better medical facility and or just safer from Ava attacks, mm. which is what she how she got injured in the first place. Right. You know, Misato is saying that she hasn't told Shinji yet that Toji is the pilot. And she says something like, you know, there's times when I just like don't know what he's thinking. Mm. And I feel like that's one of the big themes in this episode is kind of like our inability to uh, to ever understand other people or or fully understand them Mm. my observation there was uh that this this issue was being reinforced by um just breakdown in communication right Mm. so like specifically um misato she was lamenting about not having a chance to tell shinji who the other pilot is but she did have a chance she was about Mm. to tell him and got interrupted she could have just said hey can you hold on a minute Shinji and I are having a serious conversation. That's all it would have taken. <laughs> Several yeah. other characters. Asuka, same thing. She could have pulled the trigger on that, but it just seems like everybody's just plagued mm. with this, this communication breakdown. Kind of a comedy of errors. Do you think they're all afraid that if Shinji gets knocked off kilter, he, he'll run away again? He will not pilot the Ava? Mm. I mean, but like, why, why would he take badly that Toji is... A pilot hmm. like the oscar thing is kind of like she isn't supposed to know so it's kind of like it's not her place to tell him i don't really get why miss sato is hesitating now his sync rates dropped after the Duroxy one the lalil the um hmm. shadow angel right hmm. and so maybe they're thinking well if we have another boy pilot on the team maybe his confidence going to be shot even more i don't know was there anything hmm. that led up to explaining how Toji specifically was selected? We, I mean, I guess at this point, we've established that the way that they claim to search for them through the Marduk, Marduk Institute or whatever, that that's all a sham. 
and that they've kind of implied that they're keeping the possible pilots together in their classroom. Yeah, like this school is like the pool of potential pilots. Although meta narratively, uh, I don't know if that's the right term to use here, but it kind of works. He was always going to be the pilot. Like obviously the writers wrote him that way, but Ava 03 looks like him. It looks like his mm-hmm. suit. I would always ask about like, why, mm. how come he gets to wear the suit? Everybody else wears uh, like a class uniform, but he always wears this track suit. Well, it's because the Ava looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's got the same like purple uh, on the collar. Mm. It's very strange. Yeah, I suspect Ikari had a hand in this. We'll get we'll get to that in the spoiler yeah. section. Let's like make a note. Uh, so Ava 03 does arrive and it is two hours late, even though they did not divert course to have a safer like journey through the clouds. They're still mm-hmm. late. I don't know if that's supposed to be like American incompetence, but Misato and Ritsuko are, well, Misato is livid about it. <laughs> and we get this really cool shot of Toji uh, on his own before Ray comes up to talk to him. And he's just looking at his hand and clenching and unclenching the fist. And it's a really intricate animation. And it can't be, it's gotta be difficult because hands are really hard <laughs> to animate like that. And it's simple and beautiful. And and this is kind of imagery that they played with before. So I'm trying to remember the context. I think Shinji maybe right around the time his sync rates were improving and stuff, he, there would be this thing where he would look at his hand and he would kind of clench it and unclench it. And then he like does that in the Ava too. Oh, you're right. This, this time it's a little different, right? Because so he, he kind of is remembering the time he hit Shinji and, mm-hmm. and you know maybe he's feeling kind of shame or like hypocritical that he was faulting Shinji at the time. But now that he's about to do it, he's scared. So maybe this time is kind of more like making a fist and letting go. But we see a lot of this hand imagery in this. Yeah. So my theory is about um, Ikari. Mm-hmm. We, all, we already know he's a bad father. But uh, my theory is that he knew about this, not really a fight, but uh, his son getting punched in the face by Toji, right? And then we see Toji's same fist clenching. (laughs) Like maybe he's just thinking about that time when he confronted Shinji and punched him in the face. Mm -hmm. And that uh, here he is now and he's coming in and uh, he's going to get his ass kicked by Ikari's son. You are going off great here, but I do want to get to that point. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, so one thing here I would say with this like image of the hand, so I think it starts off as a fist mm-hmm. and then it like releases and lets go, mm. but then it balls back up into the fist and that's kind of like the final shot. Mm-hmm. Then I think, I think right after that, there's this weird little shot of just like a basketball on the court unplayed. Right. And then we go to Asuka and Hikari uh, talking mm-hmm. and Asuka guesses that Hikari has a crush on Toji. And we also get this fast shot of a sandbox, mm-hmm. uh, which is being, which is not being used, right? Like both scenes have this image of childhood mm-hmm. being unused, left behind. Oh, that's awesome. Well, there's something that reinforces that, that uh, most Western audiences wouldn't pick up on. 
So mm. there's this chime you hear in the background. It's the Goji no Chimu, Chimu, right? It's part of the emergency alert system, right? To let you know when an earthquake or tsunami is coming. But mm. on a daily basis, it goes off at 5 p.m. to let kids know playtime is over, time to go home. Hmm. And so this might be you play for a little while after school. Yeah, so like school would let out, they would play with their friends. Before the sun goes down, the 5 p.m. chime goes off, playtime's over, time to go home. Oh, wow. So it's this like symbolic thing, right? I mean, you could say that the children's, these pilots, uh, have already crossed that threshold, this loss of innocence. But uh, for this episode, anyway, it's taken to a whole other level. Wow. So we're not there yet. I'll, I'll, I'll say further comments. <laughs> All right, we're going to rush through there. this so that we can yeah, get there. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Kaji babysits Asuka and Shinji. He takes long baths. <laughs> Asuka should be ecstatic about trying to, I guess, spend the night with him, but she can't. She She's feeling real bad. She feels bad for Hikari. She feels strange about Toji, and she does not tell Shinji. Like you say, she had the chance to tell Shinji, but mm-hmm. she just didn't. Yeah, and, it, and I think maybe to you, I was trying to figure out, it took me a little bit to be like, what it, like there is this mention about like Asuka not wanting to see Misato at the beginning of the episode. And then now she's like down and like doesn't want to talk to Kaji. And I think it's that maybe, you know, she tried to kind of like seduce him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he like, kind of like curtly rejected her. And so I think she is feeling rejected and embarrassed about her crush on Kaji now that he's kind of with Misato. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tragic that uh, Kaji's, the one thing that I super respect that Kaji did, you know, like telling Asuka, no, this is not happening, uh, mm-hmm. is the one thing that causes her like terrible distress. <laughs> So this is interesting. This is another thing that keeps happening in this episode. This like off timing, the missed connections, right? Like Asuka, mm. she left earlier than Shinji, but showed up so much later. You could justify that maybe she didn't want that extra time. The tension of maybe this issue coming up about Toji it was like this avoidance behavior. Mm. Right? Evil Unit Four is two hours late. Oh wow! Like ships passing in the night. Right, and then of course like Asuka's age and um gosh darn it what's what's his name they, the male, Kaji. Yeah. because of their age like their timing is off that they can't mm-hmm. have a that yeah. type, the kind of relationship she wants and then like class rep and toji they're like kind of like yes starting to have this budding romance but like right at the time he gets conscripted to be a pilot and mm-hmm. conscripted great word perfect word yeah and then and then we have this conversation with Shinji and Kaji at night, you know, he's asking questions about his dad. He's trying to understand his dad, feels like he understands his dad a little better. Mm -hmm. And then Kaji is just like, dude, like, you just think you know something, but like, (laughs) you have like no idea, which like, I mean, I, you know, probably Gendo is the ultimate case of that, right? That Mm -hmm. he is such a mysterious figure, but Kaji kind of generalizes it you know like we try so hard to understand people but like ultimately we just can't do that yeah like the uh like the hedgehogs that we are we can only get so close but to bridge that extra gap you need trust and love i feel like and he doesn't he doesn't say that 
like he doesn't make that extra leap. He doesn't make that cognitive uh, connection. And he also does not really trust. Maybe he loves Misato in some way, but like he doesn't trust people. Yeah. So again, this might be a note we need to make for the spoiler section, but mm-hmm. um, the word uh, Kanojo is used in reference to the way girlfriend is written in kanji Hmm. i don't want to take us down too much of a rabbit hole but it's just this this interesting idea right because we're talking about the inability to connect and like the literal translation is like distant woman or like more literally like beyond right and the, the conversation is about you can't ever really understand somebody heck you can't even really understand yourself hmm. um but it takes this extra amount of work so, you know, there's, there's just interesting lore. Like, if you understand, like, kanji and, like, the way it's written and, like, the stroke order and all this stuff, that in, like, the way you do that implies different uh, subtext, like, nuance of understanding and meaning, but just, like, takes more work to get all that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just... <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like a meta thing of, like... Mm-hmm. Like, we use this language that we don't even understand the the full meaning of like the words we're using and stuff like that half the time just to entice people that might not want to stick around for like the spoiler section like uh this kind of hints at what might be coming around the corner for the human instrumentality uh, project so they're getting ready then after that we kind of jump back to misato and ritsuko um and they're getting unit 03 like ready to go you know, I think Misato's worried about it. Ritsuko's <laughs> a little bit more blasé. Um, and, you know, she says, you know, soon you'll have four Avas under your control. <laughs> Which is enough to take over or destroy the world. I think Misato muses something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> yeah, Which is so, true. Yeah. I, I went back to see if I could verify this. I, I can't remember if it was just my imagination, but just in the montage, it looked like Unit 4's eyes were bloodshot. Hmm. And then later, when when the sinking process happens, like the lights hesitate and flicker when it hits that threshold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. How very strange. And then and then we start the test, right? Presumably Toji's in the, uh, the plug. They hook him up. They start the sink test. It's going fine. It hesitates at that barrier, which we've kind of seen before. Mm-hmm. And when it hesitates usually something bad happens Mm -hmm. but it crosses the barrier it lights up it's fine but then we see the wave form like the i guess the ava's thoughts and the and toji's Mm -hmm. thoughts they start coming apart again Mm -hmm. and uh it's like when one of the other avas goes berserk its jaw unhinges so that Mm -hmm. it can uh open it and it starts acting like an organic thing right it's not a Mm -hmm. fucking robot uh, we know that now. Yeah. Well, and we see some, like, goo. There's, like, some, some kind of, like, goo in one of its joints. And Ritsuko's mm-hmm. just, like, immediately, like, oh, it's an angel. Mm-hmm. And, and then, yeah, there's this big explosion. And then the uh, second-in-command dude, I always forget his name. Kozo? But his immediate reaction is, like, we should have known or something. Which <laughs> is kind of like, you know, it's there's something weird going on here that like that's his reaction and that Ritsuko just kind of like immediately knows that it's an angel. Yeah, Kozo's like immediately bring it down to 60%. And Ikari's like, no, let it go. Then there's, the, so when it activates, it causes an explosion, right? The explosion could be, I guess, 
the angel realizing itself, or it could be the um, the Ava activating its AT field. But it doesn't look like that to me. To me, it looks like one of the N2 mines, one of the nukes. Mm-hmm. And I this didn't really get talked about, and maybe I'm just reading too much into things, but to me, it seemed like, you know, they realized it's an angel, and so they set off a mine to try to stop it. Mm-hmm. But it was too late. It had already activated its own AT field, so the mine doesn't do anything to it. All it does is blow up most of the facility and uh, Sato and Ritsuko are lucky to get away with their lives. Right. So this is our next angel attack. Mm-hmm. This angel is named Bardael. So it means the humiliated son of God. And it is the angel of, from different sources, mist, haze, fog, or hail. Even though they're different things, they'll have kind of a common thread there. They're all interesting, like localized weather phenomenon. So it's a mysterious addition to our angelic aviary, and it is similar to an angel we've gotten before, Ariel, which was the one that got into Nerve HQ and started infecting the Magi. It, uh, its initial form we don't get to see, but it's some. We I assume it's somewhere in those clouds, right? And that it's it acts instead of being like a bacterial infection, this is more like a fungal infection. This one doesn't seem to have, we don't get any talk about it. I, you know, there isn't time. Uh, we don't know if it has microscopic AT fields or anything like that, like that previous microscopic one. And it doesn't seem to be able to evolve in real time like the other one did. But instead, it seems to be specifically focused on infecting a host body and then enhancing the abilities of that body. Uh, we get to see that it is able to utilize the like full potential of an Ava. Uh, it fights just like they do in Berserk mode, like Unit 01 does in the first uh, battle. And uh, it does some really interesting things. Like it grows this mesh over the plug so that they can't eject yeah. it. I found some uh, a lot of trouble trying to find the definition or stuff that was linked to the angel name, Vardiel. But I did get an interesting description off of Reddit. Uh, I couldn't find a way to corroborate this, but it fit so well I couldn't not include it. So this Redditor Jville offered a meaning which translated to the Angel of October, which may be a different angel with a uh, slightly different name, but a similar name. And what it came to was uh, the Destroyer of Harvests and Travelers and He Who Sows Discord Among Men which really does work with this episode. Hmm. Yeah, I guess if you search Angel of October, Barbiel shows up. Right, one letter difference. And maybe that's, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the way that the mythology in this works. Uh, some of it isn't exact. It kind of sucks up everything that they could find and they fit it together in an interesting way. Like chaos magic, but whatever works. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, when you'd mentioned the entry plug thing, that just like kind of snapped me back into the episode. Mm. So they try to eject him. Um, the angel fights against that. So first we have Asuka um, trying to tell Shinji who's inside it, but kind of while she's doing that, it does a sneak attack on her, and we just see kind of her crumpled Ava um, and it walking forward. So then they order Ray to attack it from a distance, um, stay out of close range combat. So maybe that's kind of its specialty. But 
you know, she knows that Toji is in there um, and she hesitates. There's a slight tremble in her hand leading up to that scene. You know, which is kind of interesting is maybe maybe there's something to what the class rep was saying and there she is having mm. some feelings for him or something like that. Oh yeah, because she almost never hesitates. When it's her own life in danger, doesn't matter. Yeah, and the, the rooftop scene, um, she wasn't there looking for Shinji, right? She went there to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we kind of see maybe why Asuka was so disabled, which is that it's like, capable of of doing these crazy sneak attacks where it um jumps in this very non-human way yeah utilizing the at field yeah it it kind of moves the way the the angels move but in a way that a human would never move and it kind of uses that to surprise ray and and disable her very quickly god the the choreography of that was almost unsettling because it, yeah. it didn't jump it was like it was thrown or it reminded me of something you'd see in like a demon possession movie it's, yeah exactly i was about to say the same thing it's very like horror imagery of watching a humanoid body move like an insect or something like that yeah and when it goes <laughs> on to all fours it's practically straight out of the exorcist i didn't notice that before <laughs> that's brilliant but so kind of once it pins ray down then it starts dripping this goo and so it's that goo that we saw in its joint when ritsuka realized it was an angel and so that drips onto um ava zero zero and they say that it's like starting to take over her nerves Mm -hmm. and this is where ikari orders for them to amputate the the arm so it can't fully infect the the Ava. Mm. And we get uh, an answer to another long-standing question, or at least since episode 13, uh, we've realized that in those dummy bodies or test bodies that they have, they have them rigged with explosives on all of the joints just in case. And now we know that the Avas are similarly rigged Mm -hmm. just in case they need to jettison one of them. Very, very weird design choice. There, there are some animals that can do that, though. Like, they can just, like, remove their limbs if, like, a predator grabs them or something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I think you talked about this before. You know, you were mentioning, Brian, that you felt Gendo, you know, they say, you know, should we disable this, like, neural link? And he's like, no, just, like, do it. And you felt like it was almost like he's punishing Ray for hesitating or something mm-hmm. like that, right? It's like, this is this is what you get from doing this. It, it was unnecessary. It was masochistic. Mm. I, I guess, so I interpret it more as like, and your interpretation might be completely right. I just didn't think about it like that at the time. I was thinking it was more like, we don't have time to waste, mm. like just do it. Like, we might lose valuable seconds and maybe, like, the infection will spread. But I agree. I bet they did have time because that's another thing in this is workers versus the people who are overseeing them. And, like, those techs probably know we have time to do this. Like, we don't need to do that trauma. But ultimately, they comply with the order. Mm. I guess the thing that makes me lean towards Gendo just being a masochist is that damn smile. That, that little smirk he kept having at each stage of this disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, beginning with shutting down Kozo about 
drop the sink rate to 60%. No, no, let this happen. Let this play out. Mm. It is very like vengeful God, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you don't listen to me and now you're suffering the consequences, right? Yeah. Right, and he he like pulls this Abraham. Uh, he tells Shinji, that's your target, go kill it. And he's like, that's a kid. It's like Abraham looking at his son Isaac and going, uh, or I mean, Abraham goes up the mountain and he wants, he's fully willing to kill his uh, mm. son. And that's when God or an angel intervenes is like, whoa, he, <laughs> you don't actually have to do that. But we're really glad you're on board with this whole thing. Well, Shinji turns out to be a terrible Abraham because he's not willing to kill another kid just because someone says so but it turns out he's a pretty good human being or at least shaping up to be. So, yeah, so so Bardiel then after, um, you know, trying to infect Ray, it kind of moves on to, to Shinji, right? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of walks up slowly and we have another kind of body horror thing where he pulls this uh, like Street Fighter Dalcine move <laughs> and just like <laughs> extends his arms out twice his body length and starts choking Shinji. Um, And we see like the real Shinji inside, like his skin is kind of like all tensed up around his neck. Mm -hmm. And you know, so you said Shinji is a good person, but like, I think he's like absolutely like crazy here. Like I'm like, this isn't the time to be on your like moral high horse and be worrying about some pilot that's in there. To be on your moral high horse. In, In other situations, it doesn't matter. This, this is where this, you make the decisions. Sorry. But but this thing is already like basically destroyed two other Avas, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is just going to destroy you. And then what? You just let it go to like nerve HQ and like, you know, like all the collateral damage that'll happen. This, this is the conversation I wanted to have. Uh, this is part of the reason why this is such an important episode to me, right? Um, because everything you're saying is correct. Uh, in a perfectly rational context, like if you're in a state of having a sound mind and all your faculties uh, accessible to you, right? So there's a similar scene in uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan. And I remember being in the theater and hearing the people around me infuriated that there was this one soldier who was having this panic attack and his friends in the next room fighting a Nazi and a blade is about to get sunk into the dude's heart. He just needs to stand up and go over and shoot the guy. But he doesn't. Like, he freezes mm-hmm. or has a anxiety or a panic attack, right? And that stuff's real. That that's that happens, right? It's, it's not good for an action movie. But the idea was the young person, like, say, in Saving Private Ryan, shouldn't have been there. Like, he was a secretary, right, and got thrown into this position. And in the same way, like, Shinji's still a kid, right? He's this conscripted child soldier and his need to have secure attachment with his father is being exploited by his own father. And he's thrown into this thing and Gendo wants him just to be the soldier, but he's not. And, and, and that's what we're seeing. We're, we're seeing this person filled with compassion, uh, panicking and freezing. And, you know, if he had been calm, maybe he would have been able to make those calculations. Like mm. whoever the pilot is, they're probably gone Two of my buddies have just been taken out. The rest of the city's at risk. Uh, <laughs> that's just not where he is. Yeah. It reminded me of this thing, too, that I think like shows up in Cowboy Bebop and mm. um, Samurai Champloo. 
you know, very explicitly there's this thing in psychology, like Kohlberg's theory mm. of moral development. And it's kind of interesting because he puts it on this like age of development. And so it's kind of the idea is that like our sense of right and wrong changes as we get older. And so they say kind of around the, the end of what they call school age before a teen, I was just Googling this you have like an orientation towards fixed rules. So the purpose of mortality is ma- of morality rather is uh, maintaining the social order. Uh, and, and so kind of like this idea of like, you know, if like murder is wrong, then like murder is wrong in all situations. Um, mm-hmm. And then kind of like one of the stages beyond that is, is that morally right and legally right are not always the same thing. Hmm. So that, you know, it's maybe more... <laughs> Alex Almost is looking a little skeptical. Laws <laughs> oh, have nothing yeah. to do with morality. Yeah, and, and so the idea that, like, you know, it's not necessarily about just following the rules, but thinking about like what is the outcome of following those rules or like not following those rules. So, so the thing I'm thinking of, I think there's an episode in both Cowboy Bebop and Shamurai Shampoo that's about this thief, and they go to these extreme measures to find this thief only to find out that then like the thief is stealing things to get medicine to like help this sick person. Mm. Um, Mm. So I think it's basically the the exact thought experiment that like Kohlberg used to like originally explain the theory. Um, Gosh, you know, as, as we were talking about this, this thing popped into my head, Um, this similar tension that Anno is using in this show between uh, art and entertainment right? Mm. That sometimes those two are the same and sometimes they're not Hmm. like specifically with this show, like you can have like gratifying action and playful sexuality, but when you get more realistic and in this show less explicit, it's more uncomfortable, right? Like he could have shown much more of this graphic ripping apart of unit four, but we didn't see that. We saw the the faces of the people in the control booth. Hmm. So less explicit, uh, more realistic, cause, and through all that, you can hear Shinji's reaction having the front row seat of this violence. Um, and, you know, like just from the action show perspective, it's not as entertaining. It's like, it's just harsh, right? Oh, yeah. gosh, it's awful. Yeah. Like, yeah, I feel like the techs in the booth, mm-hmm. they all look away. They're like, okay, uh-huh. uh, I guess this is happening and I have to be here for it. Right. And Shinji, the way he yells, stop, 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 is like, I mean, it's like rape, right? Mm-hmm. His body isn't being physically uh I don't know, penetrated is the word that I want to say, but that's rape isn't just that. But his, he, it's like a mental thing. Like he's being made to do something against his will because of the relationship that a pilot has with their Ava. It's not just like a soldier driving a tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an extension of yourself. Uh, sorry, it's just, yeah, this episode is really, really, I can mm-hmm. see why you t- talked about it as polarizing. Like even Ben and I were like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like, just to drive it home, like, what's how is this the violence wrapped up at the end? You see Hikari just in the kitchen working on Toji's lunch and speculating about leftovers, which will mean another uh, interaction that she'll have with him. Uh, Anna's doing everything he can to like personalize the violence as much as possible. Yeah, and I think maybe 
I hadn't thought about this before, but especially after you said the private Ryan thing that maybe this is kind of like kind of a thing of like, you know, if Toji was a soldier out at a war or Shinji, you know, like there are these people experiencing these things and then like the people they're like protecting potentially have like no idea of the shit they're going Mm -hmm. through right and then that again like that idea of like people not understanding each other that like she's just in such a completely different headspace Mm -hmm. than like toji is like both in the conversations they've been having up until now because like he has this big secret that he's keeping from her and like he's like just thinking about completely separate stuff but then you know especially after this experience right they're just like Mm -hmm. so disconnected Mm. i I guess before we get there so gendo engaged this like dummy system right Mm -hmm. and it also like i don't know it's kind of like terrifying to think about this in terms of just like military robots and and stuff like that right and that we've talked about before maybe the idea that like the dummy system was this way to protect the pilot you know the pilots are these teenagers that kind of aren't always in control of themselves so this is a way to like make things more reliable all of that stuff is true but now we see the dark side of that too that you know even though it's like effective in this situation for you know, getting rid of this angel, it also, you know, goes that one step further and and crushes the control plug. There's this element of the having an AI there that it'll do things that a human might not ever do because they are just so horrible or destructive Mm. that they're not fully controllable. Mm. Uh, Again, it it reminds me of... um... Like someone with PTSD, like that's been triggered and they disassociate, like the, the conscious mind shuts down and just like pure fight or flight or freeze takes Mm -hmm. over. Mm. It's terrifying to think of, yeah, thinking about that aspect being weaponized. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like there's a lot of like metaphors for concepts in psychology and stuff like that, that maybe this is like Anno, like his view of like humanity or something like that. We've had this kind of two with unit 01 going berserker earlier. Hmm. You know, maybe that is just kind of like a metaphor for like, like when you're a human in a situation like that, Mm -hmm. consciously your ego doesn't want to like kill this other person some other system gets like switched on mm-hmm. and then your ego is like stuck there watching yourself like brutalize this person yeah associate well where where berserk comes from berserker bear warrior uh from old norse like it was the name for these warriors that when they got out onto the battlefield it was like they weren't there anymore it was like a different person like mm. they weren't human uh like er like magic right they found a way to tap into that that mm. human system that brain system that Maybe it's like a holdover from an earlier stage in evolution where yeah, your conscious thought is kind of pushed to the side and your body just does what, what it does, like what it's trained to do. And if you've trained yourself for violence, well, that's what it's going to do. So, so after we see all those, the reaction shots and, and well, I guess Shinji's screaming isn't quite done, but after all the reaction shots, um, I thought it was interesting. The final shot, which like, it's, it's surprising to me. I guess this is just the manga influence, but it's a shot that normally I would have assumed, oh, this is something from the comic book that they kind of lifted. 
-hmm. maybe it's from the storyboard or something, but you just see this shot of like a hand sticking out of the river, Mm. Um, the rivers, which like moments ago were literally running red with blood. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the hand is like unclenched the final time we see it. Mm. So that was interesting with that kind of clenched hand unclenching. He decides to clench it and fight again, but it's kind of like in the end, it's unclenched in this kind of like rigor mortis claw. Hmm. That's interesting. That's an interesting mix of uh, the imagery from earlier and the metaphor of Kanojo, like she who is beyond, like as it was articulated, like going further and further down this endless river, Hmm. just referencing like not connecting, uh, growing distant. Hmm. Yeah, I totally missed that. Well, so we, we kind of think, at least I assumed Toji was dead. You know, as we mentioned before, we see Hikari cooking this hopeful meal. And then we hear this sound of like, there's a survivor. And at least I immediately thought, oh, like Toji, mm-hmm. because like she had just been talking about him. And then we see, no, it's actually like Misato. Mm. And that was like kind of where I started to feel like, oh, fuck, they're really like jerking me around. Mm-hmm. Like, they made me like really hope it was Toji. And then it's like, oh, right, there was that explosion, these other people. So I went back to assuming that Toji was dead. And then, you know, right as Misato is finally breaking the news to him, um, Shinji sees it with his own eyes, starts yelling, but we find out that he actually did survive. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Shinji doesn't get told that. So he still, (laughs) at least at the end of the episode, thinks he's killed Toji. Yeah, and, you know, I get he's being irrational. I, I guess it's kind of what you were saying before about the connection to your your Ava, I guess I don't kind of fully understand what that would feel like, but I don't get why he feels the guilt of of doing this. Is it like, is he actually like feeling himself do it? Like even though the dummy plug is in there, is that the idea that like he has this sensation? So he's just kind of watching Mm -hmm. it happen, but he still feels like it's his fault. Yes. I'm on fence. I'm not sure because... um... There is this issue of like the neural link and controlled percentages and like we see this psychosomatic response like when Ray's arm is severed and uh, it just leads me to believe that um, like you mentioned earlier Alex like that uh, violation of losing your bodily autonomy um, that maybe that's what he was really feeling but I don't know for sure because uh, when the dummy plug takes over you know, uh, Shinji has a, a moment of disconnection, like the screen goes black, like nothing responds. I mean, either way, it's it's interesting. Yeah, either way, it's awful. Like, you just feel real bad for Shinji. Yeah. But maybe you're right. It doesn't matter really either way, right? The point is that it's so interesting that we're discussing it. But it's really interesting that both the angel Bardiel, it can't just take over the angel or the Ava body. It needs Toji and the entry plug to get in before it can activate. Mm. And it's the same thing with this dummy plug. The dummy plug, the idea is we can activate an Ava without the pilot, but that's not quite true. They can't do it without the pilot. The pilot still has to be in there, but they can Mm. override the pilot. Mm. So even though they can activate this dummy plug and they can make the Ava go berserk and fight at its full potential and uh, kill its target, they still have to have this kid inside of the plug observing it. It's that idea of sacrifice, right? 
Mm-hmm. It's like mm. it doesn't work without this sacrifice. Ugh. Mm. This this makes me think then of like soldiers and like the bear warrior thing you were talking about before, and kind of like this idea like we can create these soldiers, we can like make these people that like in that situation like they will kill but there are like still people there right Mm -hmm. you can't just make this perfect soldier like they are still going to be like human and there will be this like part of them that gets like really fucked up by like this shit you make them do yeah there's a cost to it soldiers coming back from any armed conflict their ptsd right like you train them to kill to devalue human life and then you bring them back into the society they're used to that they grew up in. And they said, okay, well be regular again. Yeah. And you've mm-hmm. rewired their brain. That That's one theory about serial killers mm-hmm. and like how there, we did have this kind of spike in the seventies and eighties. And there's a bunch of different explanations about it. It was like highway systems and you could like more easily kind of find targets or like mm-hmm. hitchhikers or whatever. But one of the theories is that it was just like, people that were trained to be soldiers, people returning with lots of trauma. And it does anecdotally seem like there's a whole lot of ex-Marines and maybe especially people that got kicked out of the Marines. So people that were like kind of trained to do this stuff, but maybe couldn't even like handle it or didn't receive all the training or something like that didn't internalize all of it. Anyway. Well, that kind of leads into this other thought I was having about this episode. So I, I know that people with secure attachment are more resilient to things like wartime trauma. But then when we look at the, our main characters, um, they are all these people that have real attachment issues. They're all desperately wanting to have this connection with another uh, that just isn't happening. And and then we have Toji. Well, he's got a, a, a tight connection and an attachment with his sister, right? Mm-hmm. And it's said at the beginning of the episode, the only reason why he agreed to be the pilot was to have his sister sent to this better facility. So, I mean, that's exploitative, but, like, he's doing it. And then uh, the title card that we get uh, for, like, the commercial break, it comes back and it says ambivalence. Mm -hmm. So if Toji already has a secure attachment and isn't looking to connect, like, does that imply something about these other pilots and their connection to these Avas? We already know how, like, an angel infected Unit 4, but not, like, why. Like, why was Toji different? Mm. Maybe these other pilots, part of their connection to the Ava is the desire to be connected. Maybe that's why Toji was the outlier. Right. Because, like, think about his affect in all the scenes leading up to this. He's not talking about it. He's (laughs) ambivalent. Like, Mm. it's just this thing he's got to do for his sister. Yeah, whereas, like you said, the other pilots have... Piling the Ava is their reason, right? Like, mm-hmm. Gendo's approval comes from piloting the Ava. Uh, Ray feels like she can do something for humanity while piloting the Ava, whereas uh, Toji, it's a quid pro quo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My, my last big question with this episode... So, as we said earlier in the, in the episode, uh, Unit 3, its name translates to the Humiliated Son of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, on hearing that, my first question, who's the Humiliated Son of God? Here we have Unit 3 showing up on a crucifix. Uh, it's being piloted by Toji, who has this history with Shinji. The expressed anger punching him in the face. It led oh. to a whole other chain of events. We have the imagery leading up of... Toji looking down at his fist, clenching it, releasing it, 
just a great callback to that first confrontation. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Gendo is just acting like a total jerk. There's horrible things happening, a lot of red flags. He's just pushing everybody to just keep going with this, even, even after this angel takes over Unit 3, right? Mm-hmm. And then he just starts to getting like more and more cruel, um, and he wants this to see this fight happen. And again, like who's who's the humiliated son of God? My first guess would just be it's Toji. He humiliated Gendo's son, and even if mm-hmm. Gendo doesn't care about Shinji, like that shit can't stand. So he's gonna set this thing up. We're gonna take care of your sister Toji, but you got to do this this act of humiliation because this is what's gonna mm. make Shinji man up and be like the child soldier I want him to be. Or is it Shinji? Is Shinji the humiliated yeah. son of God because he loses bodily autonomy and like is violated in that way to like be used as this instrument to do something that's horrifying to him? I don't know. Yeah, I was just having thought for the first time of like you know that fight scene, Shinji gets punched in the face and just like takes it right. Mm-hmm. So like literally, it's like turn the other cheek, right? And mm-hmm. in fact, doesn't he get hit a second time? <laughs> and and so it's oh, like, wow. you know, like Shinji kind of being maybe like the Jesus figure in this show. Gendo is more like the Old Testament vengeful God. Mm. And then Shinji here is saying, no, like you don't kill. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like you were saying, Alex, like even in this situation, you know, practice this. And, and who knows, right? Like we don't know the motivation of these angels. Mm. So maybe if he just didn't fight him, I don't know, maybe that could have been effective somehow that the angel would just be like, oh, this is not fighting me. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that that's interesting because that reminds me that like unit three didn't tear the other units into little tiny pieces. He just incapacitated them and kept moving. Mm-hmm. Like Ray's mm-hmm. unit, she could have composed herself theoretically and kept going. so excited now sorry i take i'm sorry i don't want to stop right now i don't want to cut the <laughs> yeah. short um because yeah, we're right. having a great discussion uh but i feel like always leave them wanting more yeah and uh i thought maybe we could tease that uh brian is going to be on again yeah with a hopefully a a, a, a second guest coming along with him uh we're not sure about that yet but we're planning on it very excited and we have a very special episode coming is that next week now 19 yeah so there'll be a very special episode sounds like a psa yeah (laughs) (laughs) did you have anything else you wanted to plug i I have been working on a uh like a therapeutic model for dnd i've been playtesting it with my family since uh, the beginning of the pandemic getting ready to do a beta test Uh, so far it's been working out really really well it uh, draws on a lot of theory of active therapy takes a lot from like say uh, combat veterans using something like warhammer um, to help process things from what they call a safe social proximity but i'm really excited about that and it's something that i'm going to upload for other people to use freely 
I'm not selling anything. It's just, just a tool that I think would be helpful for a lot of folks. Hopefully that'll be done in the next couple of months or so. Look, nice. look for it at a local game store near you. <laughs> um, you can tweet us at penpenpalspod. Um, you can send us an email to penpenpalspod at gmail.com. And you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, Alex and Ben. This uh, episode, yeah. this, this talk has really expanded my understanding of Neon Genesis Evangelion. So thank you for that. Yeah. Likewise, it's been super fun. Collectivist. <laughs> <laughs> Very instrumentality. Yeah, this All podcast right. is a piece of the project, guys. Oh, you are part of the anime. I like it. Pen. Pen. Pals. Pod. <laughs> Love it every time. Is it, are we in spoiler section? Should we officially enter spoiler section? Yeah, let's do our spoiler session because we're spoiler. pretty much done. <laughs> wow. I don't I don't have any spoilers to talk about yet. Oh no, I do. Here, I can kick us off. So I went back and checked the frame. It goes back very quickly, but there's a, a shot that shows, uh, it says operation dummy system. And then under that, Ray. Mm. So mm. now that we're in spoilers, we know that Ray is both the pilot of OO and the soul that inhabits OO, right? Ray one and mm-hmm. two. Well, mm-hmm. would Ray three or Ray four or whatever, one of the lines have been used to create this dummy plug? Like, is it not just mm. a piece of hardware? Did they stick an unconscious or semi-conscious Ray inside of this plug? Hmm. Horrifying. <laughs> Right, and I think you were mentioning before I read a little note that you had a theory on Gendo Ikari's behavior and this being a sacrifice. And maybe that's kind of what you were outlining here just a little bit ago about maybe this was the plan all along. Yeah, Gendo is a character I, I really have a hard time getting in his head. Right up until the end of the series, I still don't really know where Gendo is with the Human Instrumentality Project. Like his his behavior in this episode, it just doesn't seem to be reinforcing any grand plan or initiative, like having to do with seal or nerve or anything. <laughs> it just seems like this personal thing. Like I want my soldiers to behave in a certain way. If they don't, they're going to get humiliated, mm-hmm. or I'm just going to force it with these dummy plugs. It just seems like this ego side quest thing. I don't know. Mm. Which oftentimes the Old Testament God, Yahweh, oh, and New Testament still, but uh, especially in the Old Testament, does have these seemingly petty motivations for things. So, I mean, the, the biggest thing of all, though, uh, the spoilery thing is the human instrumentality project, right? Collectivism versus individualism. And that's what popped in my head during that night when Shinji was talking about relationships and girl troubles, and I don't understand any adults. And then... Uh, Kaji brings up the Kanojo and you can't really know anybody or yourself, you know, just like these endless rivers. In theory, like the human instrumentality project would fix that. 
we will all be connected. Mm. We will know each other and ourselves in this existential, intimate way. Mm. Is the Human Instrumentology Project this idea that we're going to kind of like merge everyone's consciousness? We're all going to become one being? Yeah. Yeah. So again, like... I've watched the series and like all the different movie iterations, and I still don't know where Gendo is on that. If he's an agent that's trying to hurry that along or interfere with it. But he's trying to hurry it along, and he wants to be the thing or the one in charge of it, in control of it. Because his idea, at least, is that all humans will be brought together for one purpose in this gestalt being, but... He imagines, at least, I, I assume, that one consciousness will be at the head of it. One consciousness will kind of direct those efforts. Hmm. So here's the other spoilery thing that I wanted to talk about. So I did mention at the beginning that like this episode is kind of like the last uh, point where there is continuity between the rebuild movies and the main show. So when the, when the series, con- series concludes, there was as you might guess, like very strong polarized reactions, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of fans that were infuriated, but this was, um, this was Anno's ride. Like this was the story he wanted to tell. Whatever studio politics happens, right? There's this like second movie that comes out, uh, end of Evangelion. And it picks up a few episodes before the series ends and shows you a different way things have could have gone. And then the, the rebuild movies themselves, they deviate from the end of this episode and show you an even more extreme direction. Like, And they're kind of like punishment. Like with the Evangelion movie, like there's a lot more action. Uh, they've got a great budget to do some amazing fight scenes. But what goes along with that is um, just a darker path for Shinji. <laughs> you know? It's like, okay, yeah. so if, if more violence and action is what you want, like, here's where that leads. And then with the, the Rebuild movie, it's it's a similar thing for the people that were just as upset about the series and the Evangelion uh, end of Evangelion movie. Now you've got these four, well, not four yet, but other movies with even bigger budgets and, like, amazing CGI uh, and flushing out so many other things. Like, you get to see uh, Unit 4 and the pilot of Unit 4 that never showed yeah. up. But gosh, like, it, it's just, it's even, I'm not going to say even worse in terms of, it's a it's a fun story, right, and a, and a well-told story, but... The, the the chaos is just is so much worse yeah. happening in that story and between the characters. That's kind of interesting. Now I'm thinking about it at this level of like Ano kind of being like Gendo, right? As the creator, he's like the god of this universe. And then like the people at Nerve being like the animators and like those <laughs> people, right? He's like, this is what this story is going to be. This is what's going to happen. And they're all like, oh my God, this is like horrifying. <laughs> like, what oh, are gosh. we a part of? What are we making? And then oh, like, wow. you know, we as the watchers are like Shinji and like, we have no control. We're just sitting there stuck in this character's viewpoint because he's been the main character the whole time and we empathize with him. And like, I know this God is going to like emotionally brutalize us. Yeah. But man, I, I love that correlation you're making because it, it may also made me think of Gendo having counsel with those monoliths, right? That are mm. audio only. It kind of reminds me of like the, the studio executives. Because <laughs> 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 they got their agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then that like kind of like he is both 
has to go along with what they want but like mm-hmm. he has like maybe his hidden agenda that like <laughs> only some of the people on the team making it know and other people don't know oh my gosh <laughs> and all the talk about budgeting concern because they're like hey mm-hmm. you're really racking up a cost with all your expenses here and he's like yeah <laughs> do you have a point and they're like no your budget is approved <laughs> Like oh, gosh, this is so interesting because, like, I know that, like, Anno has spoken out about, like, his struggles, like, even just on the story level, because it's, I, I can't remember what the term is in the literary world, uh, in the literary vocabulary, but, like, when a character is, like, so fleshed out, uh, they start to have, like, a will of their own that the author mm. can, is having a harder time to regulate, mm. and, like, he talks about this, like, he had a point, like, an A- in a B, like where he wanted the story to go, but like through the development, it was just getting harder and harder, and like the characters wouldn't abide mm. the direction of the story that he wanted. I had done a, a shout out to this podcast, Writing Excuses, um, about writing by this sci fi fantasy author, Brandon Sanderson. And he talks about there being like kind of two main ways that people write stuff, especially novels, so like very long form stories. And one of them he calls the gardeners. And so they kind of start with some mm. premise and then they don't know where they're going. And for them, writing is this like exploratory process. And eventually they just like end up with something that feels like an ending. And then there's other writers that he calls architects. They have the A and they have the B, like they know where it starts and where it ends. And then they kind of outline the whole thing and then they fill in the details as they go. And it sounds like maybe Anu started off like as an Mm -hmm. architect and then it kind of like the characters became so organic that then he had trouble keeping them on the the tracks he had built or something. Yeah, Garden started growing out of his construction project. (laughs) Right. And maybe this is the episode where it really changes because Gendo Mm. has always been kind of cold and distant, but he does have a plan, right? Like Mm. he is getting this stuff done. And now this is the first episode where we see him being willfully cruel. Mm. We get that seemingly throwaway thing, but now as I think about it more, it's more and more important. Kensuke at the beginning, like you said, we're Shinji. We have to witness all of these things. But I don't think, like, there is something to that. But in another way, we aren't Shinji. We're Kensuke. We're the Mm. ones pleading. Like, can we please have some robot fights? Can we please be part of this? And and like you said, it's punishment. This is what we get. You want a robot fight? I'll give you a robot fight. I'll give you a robot fight. I'll put your best friend in a robot fight. Oh, man. Yeah, it's interesting, too, then, that that what you just said, Brian, about, you know, he had trouble getting the characters to do what he wanted him them to do. So, again, like him being Gendo and the god and the creator, <laughs> like the same way these creations of him, like his son and this clone of his wife that he literally, like, created, they aren't obeying him. And then him as a character, he's created these characters, and now they're fucking up his life. And <laughs> yeah. He can't get them to go where he wants them to go. And I imagine this is where Gendo, as hit, as a stand-in for writer Anno, uh, mm-hmm. starts to deviate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least I hope so. I hope Anno mm-hmm. doesn't like make this episode and then go, yeah, that's what I am. Let's do more <laughs> of that. 
you know, like if you if you wanted a really neat and clean super robot anime, like up until this point, like the trajectory really could have been, uh, these kids uh, that have been having such a hard time working it out and becoming a team, they're finally going to get together. Uh, Gendo's going to be exposed, and they're going to team up, and they're going to beat Gendo and save the world. Hmm. That that's the super robot template, right? We we don't get that. Yeah. So 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 the twist would be like Gendo was actually evil and he's trying to take over the world and now yeah. like the kids have to stop him. The new generation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had one more spoiler spoiler thing I wanted to talk about or like theory. Well, so so this is kind of a separate thing, but about kind of why this is the the angel that gets taken over. And so if we, I was kind of looking back at the progression. So first we had the microscopic angel invasion of Nerve HQ. Then we had the shadow that kind of took over Shinji. They put the angel in the Dirac Sea. Then we had Unit 04 that mysteriously disappeared. And Risco has this kind of throwaway line about like, where did it go and all that stuff go? And she's like, maybe a Dirac Sea like Unit oh one was and so i kind of wonder if this is like the angels doing their reconnaissance they're really trying to figure out what's going on so they're invading nerve hq they're collecting information you know they take over shinji they kind of interrogate him then maybe they succeed at whatever they were trying to do with shinji with unit 04 they suck it into the directory figure out what's going on and now the angels have what they need They've kind of reverse engineered the Avas and they've created this goo that can take over. I hadn't thought about that. That's brilliant. And now I'm thinking, well, so as you're talking, I was thinking, or it could be that they are trying to contact humanity Mm. in more, in closer and closer and more invasive ways. But it's not or, it's and. It's the same thing. Like that reconnaissance, whatever the reconnaissance brings back to the angels or whatever's creating them, whatever's pulling their strings or just the collective consciousness that they share, uh, whatever information gets brought back, that's going to dictate how they deal with humanity in the future. And what do they get every time they try to contact humanity is violence. And like, that's understandable that Nerve tries to protect humankind that way, but it makes the angels this not this not inscrutable thing. It makes them like, oh yeah, I'd do that too. If I like sent one of my people in to try to talk to these people and they just got murdered over and over and over, well, <laughs> I would send increasingly violent uh, uh, angels to stop them. I've got a speculation, but mm-hmm. I might need more clarification about some of the lore of this show. Well, let me ask my question first. So um, the, the impacts... What what triggers the first impact? The first impact is diegetically. The first impact is uh, Lilith's egg crashing into the planet. Second impact is uh, a contact experiment trying to. So is Lilith like down in Antarctica? I mean, before the second impact, because like right, they go down. Second impact is happening in Antarctica for some reason. Oh, you're right. Okay, must be. Yeah, I think you're right. So it's just been like stuck there, frozen, 
until like humans discover it or something like that. And and I think with this second impact, there's kind of some propaganda they're telling everyone. We've mm-hmm. heard the true story is something like a mysterious explosion happened, or that's like kind of like what they're saying in Nerve or something like that. There seems to be this implication anyway that like, like they're like, we'll thaw this thing. We'll yeah. like blow it up. And then like, you know, whatever they did ended up, you know, causing this horrible disaster that then melted Antarctica. And Yeah. So wh- what I'm speculating about is like, why are, why are the angels doing what they're doing? What's their point? And I just keep coming back to the human instrumentality project and wondering, are the angels here to stop that? I don't know. <laughs> It eludes me. So Gendo or the humans, they want a third impact. They want human instrumentality project to be a reunion with Lilith. And that will cause all of humankind to like coalesce into the same soul or body. I think angels want, I think both or they want to commune with Adam. Right. And in, Mm -hmm. in a certain way, Lilith would be the God of humanity and Adam would be the god of angels because they're the progenitors, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is this kind of unspoken human urge to look backwards, to seek out our origins, to try to commune with our creator. And so I think the angels are trying to do the same thing that humans are trying to do, just with a different sort. So that kind of addresses where my mind's playing. Like using the word commune is what reminds me of collectivism versus individuality seems like the human instrumentality project the communing the collective of humanity is going to come at the cost of any kind of individuality whereas on the other side of that uh the angel's effort to commune with adam is that is it fully understood like what that's going to look like i feel like i'm just turning into uh to stoner thoughts, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Like, but, I I know that I learned this kind of stuff in like Sunday school or whatever about <laughs> like Adam and Lilith, and you know, one being about donating ribs and propagating and spreading things, and the other not being down with that. Lilith wanted to be on top <laughs> during sex, okay. and that was seen as an affront to God. She she was a giant too, right? She was like. You can't have women taller than men. You know? <laughs> yes, I think I, I think I got the censored version of Sunday School. <laughs> <laughs> Traditionally, Adam has uh, wives before Eve, and Lilith is the first of those. And no, in Christian Sunday School, you are not usually taught about Lilith. You are taught that <laughs> Eve is Adam's wife, and there is nothing that came before. The reason that Lilith is so that wants to be on top during sex and and is a giant and blah 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 is because lilith was made separately from adam like as her own being whereas eve mm. comes from adam eve is almost like oh my gosh adam's daughter right it's like an incestuous start to the human race was this addressed in other episodes with you guys like um the adam eve and like evangelians evas oh no not yet so Eve would represent like this submissive role, right? Yes. Uh, I- I- is there a certain way that like the Avas represent some sort of submission? Like absolutely, they do. In the, the they soldier... accept a pilot, and the pilot's mm. will overrides. And now we see with the dummy system, Gendo's will overrides the Ava's will because we see that when an Ava when an Ava expresses its own will, when an Ava goes fully conscious, it goes crazy. 
because it's a human soul, a human consciousness inside of this giant monstrosity. And that it spends its whole existence being subjugated and uh, losing bodily autonomy, yep. I guess. Oh, Ugh. wow. Ugh. Brought that back around. That's horrible. <laughs> that is horrible. That does explain why things went so crazy uh, in these episodes coming up also. Yeah. That's very interesting. So that's a good uh, uh, ending place, I think, yeah. uh, for the spoiler session. Did you have something to add, Ben? I- I have one more thing. We can cut it. Doesn't need to be in the episode. <laughs> Just a thought I was having with this, um, which is one, one of the themes we talked about early on, which I'm not sure if the show has just diverged from it or we just haven't talked about it in a while, is kind of the angels and the second impact and stuff being this like metaphor for like climate change and natural mm. disasters. The last episode, we had this kind of monologue about cities and like what cities are and um you know the human instrumentation there's kind of this like metaphysical idea of you know all of our souls merging but maybe the real world equivalent or something is something like development and communication technology and like translation that Mm. like more and more we are merging together and you know what that means and and Japan has this kind of very specific history with being an island nation and a kind of separatist nation that resisted globalist influences, you know, very limited international trade and and kind of like this policy of just keeping the world out of Japan. And so I, I think there's kind of an interesting potential themes there with this kind of collectivist and individualist, right? And, and you know, maybe Japan as a nation is collectivist within Japan, but then kind of in some, the sense of the world, in some ways, they're a very individualist country compared to a lot of other countries in the world. Well, the uh, the Rebuild movies, they definitely explore all these things, especially like the environmental angle. I can't remember what it was you said that reminded me of this. At the beginning of our episode, the Nebukawa town was mentioned. The teacher was saying he was from Nebukawa. Mm-hmm. In the show, he's referencing it as a part of Japan that was swallowed up by the ocean. Uh, and in real life, it's kind of known as being a place that gets hit harder than the rest of the country by environmental disasters. The most famous one, like back in 1923, it was like a tsunami and an earthquake and a mudslide that all happened on this day in September that just wrecked everybody and killed so many people, including like there was a train accident that happened because of all this stuff that just kept adding layers of disaster 